throughout uh, this year on the Sundays that we can get here. We've uh, worked on this theme, uh, Freedom in Christ is our theme this year. We're celebrating the 75th anniversary of Northside, and uh, in the Old Testament, the 50th year was a year of jubilee. So we're kind of making this a year of jubilee and a half and talking about the freedoms that come in Christ because that's what the year of jubilee was about, freedom from all the past. Uh, the series that we're working on right now is Free from Sin. It's our second series. We started out talking about uh, free and clear and financial matters. Uh, now we're talking about spiritual matters, eternal matters, uh, and being free from sin. We started this series trying to understand sin. Uh, we asked the question, what's so bad about sin? Because the world today doesn't seem to worry too much about sin. They excuse it, rationalize it, ignore it, uh, even celebrate it. Uh, so we need to understand, first of all, what's so bad about sin, uh, so we know what we're free from. So this will make some sense to us. Uh, and what we found as we looked at that, we found sin to be an ugly problem. Uh, we found sin to be something that God says that he, it's detestable to him. He hates it. He can't tolerate it. He can't be in his presence. Uh, and we looked at some other things that God said about sin. A very ugly problem, this business of sin. And the last time we were together, we talked, or last week, uh, actually a week before that, we talked about the bad news about God and sin. God and sin is bad news for us. God's nature and his understanding of sin and his relation to sin and his treatment of sin is bad news. Uh, just to real quickly review, let's look at the truths that we learned. Truth one, God's perfectly just. Because of who he is, he's perfectly just. He, he, he has to, uh, there has to be obedience to the law. He has to be impartial. He has to punish fairly. Truth number two, God's perfectly holy. Uh, that's where we get the part that he can't be in the presence of sin. He, Habakkuk 1.13 said, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrong. That's because of his holiness. Truth number three, God will, because of that perfect holiness and perfect justice, pour out his perfect wrath upon sin. Truth number four is the bad news, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says they're all of sin. Nobody in here has not sinned. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, we learned those four truths and... That's the bad news about God and sin. I decided to try to picture this, to picture God, as an old-fashioned scale, a balanced scale. And I warned you over and over, and I'll warn you again today, don't think about this as judgment. This is not the way judgment's going to work. God's not going to have a scale up there and open the books and count out all our works. In fact, if you want to know more about that, to come back on Sunday nights. So tonight we're talking about the second coming take us a couple of weeks to get through what's going to happen at the second coming, and then the sermon after that is about the judgment. What's really going to happen at the judgment? But I can tell you what's not going to happen at the judgment. God's not going to open his books and, and put our bad deeds on one side and a good deed over here and a bad deed over here and a good deed over here and then stand back and see whether we're innocent or guilty. That's not going to happen. 
So that's not why I chose this picture. This is a picture of God, if you will. And uh, I want you to be sure you know what we're talking about here. Now, I took those four truths, his justice, his holiness, his wrath, and put them on the scale to show you something. And when we put that, what we know, on the scales, it crashed to the bottom. If that's all we know about God, that he is perfectly holy, that because of that he must be perfectly just, and because of that he will pour out his perfect wrath, the, the, the picture of God is all one-sided. It is not in balance yet. And when it's one-sided like that, when that's all we know, when all we know is about God and sin, that's really bad news. So that's where we've been. The, the bad news that he's so holy he can't tolerate sin, he can't have it in his presence, he hates it, he detests us, and we're sinners, that's bad news. Now, today we're going to try to balance things a little bit. We're going to talk about the good news about God and us. We know the bad news about God and sin. Let's see if we can find some good news about God and us. All right. To do that, let's remember our basic problem. We're sinners. He's perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly wrathful. We're sinners. We don't want to face that. We know that's bad news. I think of it as being uh, maybe two rooms, the, uh, the boss's office and where you are. And somebody sends you a message, uh, the boss sends you an email and says, I want you in my office at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Well, you've known people that got called to the boss's office at 4 in the afternoon. You know that's not good news. You know, I don't want to go in that room. I'm afraid of that. That doesn't sound like a good idea. That's bad news. Or your mom tells you, young people, that you just wait till your dad gets home. You know, you go in your bedroom and wait till your dad gets there. Yeah, that's bad news. You don't want dad to come into the bedroom. Yeah, you, you know something's wrong with that. Well, we'll magnify it. We're in this room, and God's in his room, and we are sinners, and God must pour out his perfect wrath on sinners. I don't want to go in that room. I don't want to go where God is. I don't want to face him. That's the bad news we've been talking about. Now, humans respond in interesting ways to things. If you really knew you got called to the boss's office, you'd start thinking of excuses, wouldn't you? You'd start making a list. If you knew Dad was going to come and mete out justice, you'd start coming up with some reasons that maybe you could talk yourself out of it. That's the way humans are. So when we see this problem, God's holiness, His justice, His wrath are in one room, and we're sinners, and we've got to meet Him. Our solution is to add our answers before we face him. And we can come up with a huge list. We can start piling on the scales our list. We'll add our righteousness. Think of all the righteous things we ever did. 
and we'll pour them on the scale. Then we'll go back and write a few more down and say, well, that was a righteous thing to do. And we'll put that on the scale. We try to pour our history on the scale. We say, God, I know you hate sin and all that, but hey, my great-grandfather was an elder. My grandma was a saint. You know my history. I'll put that on there. I'll pour all the good things I can think of. I'll pour my good deeds on there. I'll think of all the positive good deeds I've ever done. God, man, I had pretty near perfect attendance. You know, I even came to Sunday school. I worked in the soup kitchen. I helped at work camp. Man, I got so many good things I've done. And think of all the bad things I haven't done. You know, a lot of those moral problems and stuff that people do in this world, I just don't do those. So let me pile that on there. The doctrine. God, you got to know i got perfect doctrine. I know that stuff. I've studied the Bible. I teach Sunday school. I listen to the teacher. I learn this stuff. I know the plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Got it. Organization of the church, I know about that. There are plurality of elders in autonomous congregations. Deacons are servants. Preachers are not pastors. I know the organization of the church and that kind of stuff. Five acts of worship. I know that. Sing, sing, give, pray, commune, exhort. I got it. Pile that on there. Look at all the things that are in my favor. Giving. God, I give to the church. In fact, look at here. Brother Salem just gave me my IRS report for the year. There, there's every check I wrote. There's all the money that I gave. Percentage? Don't worry about percentage. We're in the New Testament. There's a lot of money. Gave a lot of money. Baptism. I was baptized. That's what gets you into heaven. I wasn't just baptized. I was fully immersed for the remission of my sins. And I will pile that on my side of the scale. Now, I left a blank there on the list. You can add some of your own. I'm sure you got more than I do. So write them up, think them up, pile them on the side of the scale. And while you're piling them on the scale to try to figure out how to deal with this problem, I'll get out the microscope, laser, measurer, and watch that scale, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. It will not budge. You can pile all of that you want on. You started with your righteousness. Let's put my righteousness on. You know what God says? It looks like filthy rags to me. All your righteousness. Because we're dealing with somebody who's perfectly perfect. And we can't change it. We can't balance this scale in any way. We can't compete with God's perfect holiness, His justice and His wrath. Our sin is sin. Our solution fails. Our solution's not going to work, folks. So if we're going to get out of this with any good news, we need to learn a little bit more about God. We're very unbalanced in this picture of God. We've got to learn a little bit more. Now, Exodus 34 was read to you. I'm going to read it to you again. And you've got to pay attention because in Exodus 34, God tells us something more about himself. 
We learned two weeks ago about his holiness and justice and wrath. Now look what he says. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord, or Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Whoa. Who said that? Who said, I am compassionate and gracious and merciful and patient and loving and faithful? Who said that? God. God himself. The one that we've got this picture of his wrath and his holiness and his justice. We now are starting to learn something else. And when I see that... I don't know about you, but I see a glimpse of light. I see a little bit of hope. When all I knew about with God was what's on that side of the scale that we've talked about, there wasn't any hope. But now I know, just from what he said, that he's loving and gracious and merciful and patient and forgiving. I'm starting to see another side of him. I may have a chance here somehow. Let's learn a little bit more about God. Truth number five, God is perfectly merciful. Perfectly merciful. He said in that statement, I'm ready to forgive. That's mercy, folks. It's a story about Abraham Lincoln. That when he was president, a lady came to him and begged for mercy for her son who was in the army. Mr. Lincoln said, well, let me hear his story. And she told him the story. And when she was done, Abraham Lincoln said, but he's guilty. He, he, you just told me he did wrong. He committed this act. She said, yeah, that's why I asked for mercy. If he was innocent, I'd ask for justice. It's only the guilty people who need mercy. God is perfectly merciful. He's ready. He's willing to forgive. Truth number six, God is extremely patient. Nexus 34 in my translation there said uh, he is slow to anger. That's what patience means. Yes, he's got that perfect wrath, but he's slow to it. He's patient. Second Peter 3, 9, great verse, says the Lord is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He knows you're guilty. He knows you're a sinner. His perfect justice and his perfect wrath will be poured out on sinners, but he's patient. He's waiting. He, he wants you to get out of this somehow. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient. And that's truth number seven. God is love. God is love. All these other traits I've been putting that he is he's totally this or he's perfectly that or he's extremely this. I didn't put that in here. Because the Bible just says he is love. You, you can call it totally or perfectly or whatever you want, but this is his essence. 
This defines him. And it is not a friendship kind of love. We could talk a whole lot more about this, but we've talked about it before. It's the agape kind of love that the Holy Spirit himself defined that word for us. It's about wanting the best for the one you love. It doesn't have anything to do with performance. It doesn't have anything to do with how good you look or how good you act or uh, the stuff that we pile on the scale. That's why it didn't budge the scale. Because his love's not based on that. His love is based on us being us. We're his creation. He loves us. Now, let's take what we've learned here. These three extra truths about God. Let's take them and box them up like we did the first three things we learned about God. We learned about holiness and justice and wrath. And we put those on the scale. Now let's box these up. His, 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 his love, His patience, His mercy. Stack them up. And get ready to put them on the scale. You say, well, we've got a bunch of other junk on the scale. Okay, blow that dust off. A little bit of fairy dust on there from all of our things that we put on there. Blow it off and then set these on it. And now when we fill the scale with love and mercy and patience, we've got a balance. We've got a balanced picture of God. Now some of you look a little surprised. You thought, whoa, I thought that was going to tip the scales way the other way. No, it's not about innocence and guilt. It's not what this scale is for. This scale is to try to show us that there's two parts of God in human reasoning. It didn't tip the scales because we're not talking about you yet. We'll get to you next week. Right now we're talking about God. We're not talking about guilty and innocent. Some of you say, well, I wanted to know today. I want to know, am I free of sin or not? Well, we're not there yet. We're talking about God's nature, about His attributes, about the one who is perfectly perfect in all of these things. And so now we look at this picture of God and we say, well, I'm still a little confused. Is He, is he loving or is He wrathful? Yes. Is the answer. Well, is he just or is he merciful? Yes. He's perfectly just. He's totally merciful. Well, God's patient, but he detests my sin. Yeah, you're starting to get it. Maybe this will help you understand that. Look at the sermon titles from this one and the last one. The two sermon titles tell you the answer. The bad news is about God and sin. The good news is about God and us. Because he's perfectly holy, that holiness will act itself out in perfect justice and perfect wrath against sin. But because he's perfectly loving, that love will act itself out in patience and mercy for us. 
He hates sin. He loves us. He must punish sin, but he wants to forgive us. He's so holy, he can't be in the presence of sin, but he loves us so much, he desperately wants a relationship with us. Now, we haven't settled the problem yet, but hopefully you understand God a little bit. These things are intention. And I know that's kind of hard to think about. God's got a kind of split personality, or what do you mean, intention? These are against each other in some ways. God's holiness kind of battles with his total love. That's hard for us to understand, but that's the way God defines himself, describes himself. Now, once we see this balanced picture of God, I'm feeling better than I did a half hour ago. You see this balanced picture of God, and I want to tell you, we've got some really good news. The good news is about God and us. He loves me totally. So he's being patient with me. And he's merciful. He wants to forgive. Now he's still totally holy and just and wrath. And he's got to work that out. This is a big problem, isn't it? When you've got a God, the supreme being of the universe... That is in tension with himself, you got a really big problem. So to love us, to forgive us, to be patient with us, to do the things he wants to do, he's got to overcome the biggest problem in the world, and the biggest problem in the world requires the best plan ever. Next week, we're going to talk about the best plan ever. This is our God. And we've described him as almost as fully as he describes himself. And I know you can think of a whole lot of other attributes. But when you really sit down to think through God's characteristics, his nature, these are the two biggies. These are the ones that are really in tension with each other. His holiness and his love. And all of the others kind of come from them. Because he's perfectly holy, he's got to be perfectly just. He can't cheat. He can't be unfair in any way. He's got to be impartial. Because he's so holy, he's got to punish sin. He's got to pour out perfect wrath. And then his love acts itself out in patience and mercy. I mean, think of it on a human level. A parent, how do you know they love you? Well, they know what you've done wrong, but they're patient with you sometimes, aren't they? They want to work it out. They want to forgive. You see that and you say, I know they love me. That's the way God is. He wants to work it out. Now, as humans, we can just say, well, okay, I'll just forget that. God can't forget it. He's perfectly holy. We say, we'll ignore that little mess up. God can't. He's perfectly holy. That's why he's got this big problem. He needs the best plan ever. Next week, we'll talk about the best plan ever. I'm sure you already know what it is, but we've got to understand it in, in detail in relation to all this so we know how good it is to be free from sin. Next week, we'll talk about the best plan ever. If you're here this morning and you may know the best plan ever, you know what God did 
He sacrificed himself so that he could forgive us. We'll talk about that in more detail next week. But if you're here this morning and understand that and want to take advantage of his love, take, claim it, claim that forgiveness and mercy and patience that he has, we'd invite you to come. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.